Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Inquisitive on Relay FM. This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Campaign Monitor, helping you send beautiful emails and get better results, Igloo, an internet you'll actually like, and Squarespace. Start here, go anywhere. My name is Mike Hurley, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Guy English. Hi, Guy. Hi, lucky number 13. Yeah, so it's either a good one or a really bad one. But I guess, <laughs> I guess if it doesn't go well, we can just blame the episode number. Exactly. It's That's exactly our, it. It's not our fault at all. Right. How are you, sir? You well? Yeah, I'm good. Things are pretty good, actually. Good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the question, as everyone. Mr. English, what do you like to be known for? <laughs> you know, you'd think I'd have a good answer to that, because I knew you were going to ask me that. Um... We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff because you've, you've sort of revealed your notes a bit, uh, which I'm surprised that I'm known for. But but I think people know me for, at this point, doing a show called Debug, an interview show, and uh, for the Singleton Conference that, that I put on. Um, I'm proud of both of those. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to be known for, for that stuff. Uh, in my real life, uh, I'm, a, I'm a programmer, and I, I do a bunch of apps and I've worked on a bunch of software over the years. Um, what do I like to be known for? I, I don't know, being a nice guy, I guess. I mean, that would be that would be a nice change. <laughs> <laughs> I really try hard to be a nice guy. People yeah, don't recognize st- it. Exactly. <laughs> so I kind of I, I want to talk about about debug in a bit, and I do want to talk about singleton. I want to go into depth in both of those, but I kind of want to give mm-hmm. a a bit of context context for them, and that context comes in understanding a little bit more about you. And right. kind of leading on from from the question I just asked, when you kind of look back over your career, so I know, you, I know you've done some really interesting stuff, especially in development, what would you say has been your prevailing profession? Like if you had to identify yourself by on a business card, what would you have put? Um, probably graphics programming. Or, you know what, in, in a larger way... Um, making tools for creative people to achieve their goals, um, which is, seems like really broad, but I, I think that's actually what I enjoy most about what I've done. And, um, you know, going back to the original question, I'd, I'd be, if that's what I was known for, I'd be really happy with that. So you kind of answered in the functional way and the philosophical way, right? So the functional way being working in graphics and then the philosophical way is like helping people create things. And I guess that that's kind of looks at spanning your entire professional career up to maybe a couple of years ago or something at least. Um, I, I would include the, the past couple of years in a way. Um, I, I did leave video games. And when I was working in video games, I, w- I mostly wrote the engine stuff. So I'd be working closely with uh, artists and level designers and, and scripters and trying to figure out what they needed and try to build a set of tools that they could use to create uh, their vision for the game. Um, mo- mostly, I mean, I had I was the lead, so I had some input in that I would say no <laughs> if yeah. I thought something was horrible to implement. Uh, mostly that was due to technical reasons rather than um, just mandating design reasons. So, uh, And that really gratified me. I used to love coming into work and uh, my friend Randy, Randy Humphreys, I, he's not going to listen, but He's awesome. Um, uh, you know, he would have created something amazing that I didn't think could be done. And he would have done it through a combination of models and scripts and uh, the, the shader system that we're using. This was 
ages ago. This was before graphics were actually programmable, but we had a sort of a Quake 3 style level shader system that, that I designed. And uh, he would do things that I just didn't think were possible. Uh, and I used to love that. Um, I remember coming in another day and uh, this guy, Jay Pottlechuck, had created sort of a platformer out of an engine that didn't really support it, but like bricks would appear and disappear and move and, and you'd have to sort of navigate the units through the world. And I had not anticipated that at all. Um, but through the Python scripting and through the, through the model interaction, he'd managed to get it to work. Um, and I, I'd love that. I, it, it was so gratifying to see people be able to sit down to something that you made and make something you didn't think was possible. Uh, I, I, you know, it's such a thrill. I couldn't, I can't describe that thrill at all. Do you miss this kind of work? Um, I, in, uh, I do get a lot of that gratification from other things now. Uh, not quite as much because I'm not working tightly in a team that is also, uh, doing creative work, right? Like, so if you're in a game, um, you're building the tools and you're building them explicitly for the people on the team. And then they use them and then they have very direct feedback. Uh, either it's buggy or they want a feature or wouldn't it be nice if this could happen? Uh, and so there's a very tight iteration loop and that, I, I do kind of miss that. Uh, I imagine, um, you know, if you talk to, to Wave at, at Pixar or, or any of those people, um, they would tell you that there's, you know, sort of being tightly integrated into the, into the curative process as, in some ways as, as a supporting role and in other ways as uh, almost the medium, like you, you're enabling the medium in the first place. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, and this is a bad word, but there's a lot of pride to be sort of taken of that. And it's, it's, uh, it's, you can be prideful and humbled all at the same time, which, which is great. Um, recently with my own company, uh, aged and distilled, we do a, a piece of software called napkin, which is, uh, we'll, maybe we'll get into that in a bit, but it, it helps, uh, designers annotate images in order to work with teams that are not necessarily all in the same place. Um, and I think that's that's gratifying too. We we get a lot of really great feedback about how it's enabled people to sort of rather than describing an iMessage or or IRC or what have you, Slack, and going back and forth, trying to describe in in words what they'd like changed in the design or in an image, uh, they can very quickly and concisely sort of mark that up visually. And I apologize if that sounds like an ad, but it's actually it's a it's a product and it's what I sell, but it's actually when I stopped working in video games and I started working remotely at, at, with a great company called Rogamiba, one of the things I missed was um, being able to sit next to a designer and try to hash these things out. Um, and so the napkin, the, the product that we actually do, the Mac app, uh, sort of addresses that need. And in, in a way, it's a scratch your itch kind of, kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I get some of the same gratification that I did from designing tools for games and game engines uh, that, that I do from, from this app. What does that business card look like now? Like, how do you describe the work that you do now? Where, where are you in your career? Um, in terms of a title? Yeah. We don't really have one. I mean, like, uh, what would you say yours was? Like, not necessarily an agent to steward, just in general. Like, what is, what is, is, what is the key things that, that, that sum you up? Like, because graphics isn't, I assume isn't the same 
it, it isn't just that anymore or no no i i mean some aspects of my career and quite a bit of what i do is consulting which sounds boring as hell um but i enjoy doing that because it means that i get to touch a bunch of stuff and i get to see what other people are doing and i get to i, I learn a lot and i get to impart the knowledge uh i i've always kind of like teaching in, in a way and you know, interacting with other people and other people's projects um, sort of gives you that opportunity a little bit to both learn and to teach. And, uh, you know, without sounding corny, I think teaching is the, like a terrific way of learning stuff in the first place. Um, I I don't know I, I what would be on my business card. I don't really believe in that that much. Um, like a tagline for me, like if the product name is Guy English, what's the tagline? <laughs> I'm not sure if I could distill it that much. Um, I I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, in some ways, I still think that I'm like a neophyte, and in other ways, I feel like an old grizzled vet. Uh, <laughs> and I, I kind of hope to keep, you know, I'd like that to last for as long as it can. Um, being like still finding things wonderful while still banking on my experience. I, I, I think that's, that's valuable and something I don't want to lose. Uh, I'm senior programmer. There you go. How about that? Senior typist. <laughs> I, th I think it is. I think I really, I think I describe myself as a typist in some various bios. I don't know. Have, have you spoke, you've spoken at conferences, right? Well, you've no. definitely written bios. Okay. Have you written bios for yourself? Yeah, I've I've written bios and I hate it. Yeah, exactly. How awful is that, right? Yeah. So you're asking me kind of to do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where to start. I mean, I know it's not. I know it's to contextualize for for the listeners. Um, it's I mean, more, if you like, if the main reason I what, asked, what would you say? Because I mean, we we're friends, but we're, I mean, we don't. You're you're in the UK. We don't hang out all the time. So, what's your perspective? What 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 do you what would you suggest for you? I mean, see, yeah. the interesting thing is, is it comes from where, where your perspective is, because I associate Guy English now as a podcaster, and and, th yeah. and that yeah. you know that's mainly because that's that's the main way that I interact with your work. Um, like mm -hmm. I'm not a designer, so napkin isn't really it's something that I know of, but it's not really something that that I've ever played around with. Sure. Um, yeah. And I've never been to Singleton, but I know it exists. But my main kind of interaction with you is through your pod is through debug now i think and twitter right. but i don't know like podcaster and twitter i guess you know as i just find it yeah. interesting to think like because what i know of of your background you know and being in games design and stuff like that and the stuff that you may be putting most of your time into now are different right and, yeah. and i find it interesting to think like do, do you see that difference or does it all just feel like the continuation of the same work so i can that's interesting. To me, it feels like a continuation of all of the things I like or that I've been interested in. And there's probably a bunch more that I, I can't really wrap up in that. Um, the, I mean, I've, so I guess I'll start with this. In, in university, I took uh, anthropology and history. I, I never graduated, so don't anybody get too excited. Um, but those were, those were my, were my key interests. I've been, uh, programmer, an amateur programmer since I was like seven, right? Um, 
and I didn't really want to get a job in the field, despite being good at it. Uh, well, I'm, I'm trying to avoid being humble because of my British roots, but no, I was good at it. <laughs> and But I tried to avoid it because I thought it would mean a, a sort of a state office job in, in, a, in an environment that didn't really particularly appeal to me. Um, and again, congratulations on you busting out of that. Thank you. Recently, yeah. Um, sorry, I hope that wouldn't too negatively put put in light your your previous employment. But I'm, I'm happy. Well, I, I did it, it enough, so. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to speak for you, but I've listened to enough of your shows where you, you say it, so I just went with it. Um, but I didn't. That didn't really appeal to me, and um, I don't know. I, I, the the particular classes I was taking, I, I loved a lot of the subjects in, in anthropology and history, uh, but. I, I took a semester off and I went on a on a trip. I went down to the southwest United States just for roadrunner territory. I basically down, went all the way down the west coast and I just hung around in the desert and went around. Um, I know it sounds like a goofy peyote trip thing. wasn't wasn't anywhere near that exciting. Um, but I I, I kind of realized that like you know what I'd like to have a a job um, doing something that that i really enjoy and that was programming like i was constantly programming in my spare time um i i loved reading history and anthropology and and studying all the sociological stuff uh, there's it, it's those are topics that fascinate me and i still to this day sort of um relish um sort of just diving into the deep end and just you know a becoming totally absorbed in, in those kind of topics. Uh, but ultimately, I kind of wanted that job that would, that would pay pretty well and that, not, not that I'm shallow, but I, I thought computers would be, or programming at least, would be a, a nice way uh, in order to have like a, a, a comfortable life where I could keep, I, I could travel and I could do these kind of things and I was afforded the opportunity to, to do this kind of stuff. Um, and I thought, well, you know, if that just means I have to have a regular job, I'm still incredibly fortunate to have, um, you know, to, to have this opportunity to have learned to program so young and to, to be good at it and that it is uh, a job that's so in demand. And in order to sort of get into the career, I went to, um, basically a technical school, uh. It was like a year and a half, or was, I forget what it was, like a year and a half intensive, something like that, and you'd had like a work term. Um, and for me, it, I was kind of nervous going in because I thought I wouldn't know anything. But And that's, honestly, that's the way I've gone into any new job or endeavor. I just think it's completely beyond me. Uh, but I was, it turned out that uh, I just be being self-taught, I, I, uh, I was quite able to to tackle the the class pretty well. Um, a lot of these people, were, it, it was like an adult, it was like a retraining thing, right? So there's a lot of people switching careers and a lot of people just coming into this new. And I, at the time, I'd had like, you know, at least 10 years experience in C plus all of the other stuff I'd done. Um, so I, I, I did well there and I got recruited out of that into a games company, a small games company here in Montreal. Um, and because they were a small games company, I got the opportunity to work on things that I really shouldn't have given my experience. Um, 
you know, I, I, I quickly got to be, um, you know, after the first project we shipped, I got, I got to be a project lead, running my own thing, running my own engine, running my own team. And then, you know, sometime after that, I, I became the, the director of um, programming there. Uh, so there was, like, all of the teams basically were, uh, or at least all of the, the programmers on the teams, effectively, I was responsible for them, which is a very different job than telling them what to do, by the way. Um, but so you're saying that now it's a little bit surprising to coming from the my my programming background to see me doing something like debug and to me it's not because I think debug is about capturing history and um sociology of the various different factions and how that all sort of intertwined in the in the Mac community in the Apple community in the uh software community in general um uh, we, we spoke at one point to uh, Mikhail Dikiza, and they just had a big news announcement today that Microsoft has open-sourced their .NET um, frameworks. And Mikhail has been at Xamarin, and he was one of the people that started the Mono project. Uh, and so we had a great conversation with him a few months ago uh, about what his impetus for that was, like why he enjoyed it, and what the, th the thought process was, because he was taking Microsoft technology and bringing it onto other platforms. Um, and I found that fascinating. Uh, from a nerd point of view, and just from the uh, like historical, sociological, anthropological sort of point of view, and I think that's kind of what debug does best. Um, we don't necessarily—I mean, it's called debug, but it's more of like let's debug the way people think in in the community or in the development sphere, rather than like let's debug a particular you know, programmatic or language problem. Does that answer your question? It was long. That was like three paragraphs with a, with a mumbo jumbo maybe. But it, it does and it leads it leads into debug because I wanna I wanna talk about the podcasts um a little bit. But just before we do that I wanna thank our first sponsor for this week and that is Campaign Monitor. Campaign Monitor make it easy to design, create, send, and optimize your email campaigns both quickly and easily. Campaign Monitor features Canvas, which is their easy-to-use builder that allows you to create beautiful email newsletters that are going to look fantastic everywhere on mobile devices, desktops, tablets, absolutely everywhere. Thousands of Campaign Monitor customers are currently using Canvas to reinvent what they send, and you can create an email template that matches the style that you want and the brand that you have for free at Campaign monitor.com slash templates with canvas you can create an email in just minutes it's super easy to use it features a drag and drop interface that takes care of all of the stuff that you want to just work they have a fantastic autom automatic image resizer they have beautiful typography and an innovative spacer tool that allows you to lay out things exactly as you want them to look canvas makes sure that your emails look great everywhere they use responsive design techniques to make sure that they do this and they have flexible and customizable designs that allow you to make emails match the brand that you work so hard to create on your website and elsewhere. You can create unique emails that aren't just cookie cutter templates. They are really your own with Canvas. Canvas from Campaign Monitor is so cool that they've even the Campaign Monitor even made it possible for you to build and export templates without ever having to start a Campaign Monitor account. If you just go to campaignmonitor.com/templates, you can play around and create your own. Go and check this out, but sign up for a free account right now at campaignmonitor.com because they're awesome. Thank you so much to Campaign Monitor for continuing to support Inquisitive and Relay FM.
just as an aside, that sounds awesome because building HTML emails has traditionally been one of the worst things you could ever try to tackle. Yep, and this is this is like one of those things, like Squarespace, who are a sponsor later on, where it's like it's yep. possible to do it, and even people that know how to do it would prefer not to do it that way. So, yep, just make it easy. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, there's there's plenty of things I know how to do that I would much rather mm-hmm. leave to the experts. And uh, I, I mean, I, I, wasting your time on something that that somebody else has already put in a bunch of brain power in is kind of pointless mm-hmm. most of the time in in some ways it's like yeah linux is really cool and building your own pc is really cool but wouldn't it be cool if you could skip that bit where where you rebuild the wheel and then you go and make a race car wouldn't that be cool like if you just had a wheel to begin with and i i, I think you know squarespace coming up i know squarespace is it eight now seven seven, seven. sorry i'm adding one to the last one i heard so yeah so it's seven uh and and this you know the the HTML mail stuff is what the te- uh, what do they call it? Canvas is yeah. it's invaluable. The amount of first of all, do you want to go bald? Don't use these things. Just do it yourself. <laughs> if you like your full head of hair, maybe look into using these kind of things because it's just going to save you time and effort, and it's going to make everybody happier. Just I, I I love this kind of idea. So let's talk about podcasts. So currently, you are the hosts of fine shows like Vector and Debug. Um, and you work with the great Rene on this. Stuff. Rene Ritchie, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'd say I'm the host of Debug. Vector is it? Well, so is Rene. He's a co-host. Uh, he he basically makes the show happen and then just stands back and lets me do all the talking, which is yeah, well, most of it. Uh, Vector is really like a that's a team team effort for sure. So these shows are very different in format. So yeah, like Vector is is like a panel show. And debug is kind of like an interview show, but it, it's very much like a, you throw questions in and kind of get out of the way of your guests, which leads to some incredible results that I want to talk about in a bit. But do you prepare mm-hmm. differently for Vector and Debug? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Night and day. How does it differ? Like, what do you do for Vector and what do you do for um, Debug? So Vector, Vector covers a lot of ground that I read anyway. Um, I, I try to keep up on the news and and vector in a way sort of i don't want to say it covers the news of the day but it certainly covers the the topics that are relevant to the week that we're going to be recording um so in a lot of ways i've, I've read it either they've been linked to by df or uh mutual fan jason snell has brought them up on six colors or they've been floating around the you know sometimes even the the larger media realm um you know, in the case of currency and maybe some other stuff. Um, so I've often read a lot of that just because that's the kind of thing I'm I'm interested in. Uh, I read very little fiction. I mostly read nonfiction. Uh, and a lot of what I read is sort of, you know, I don't want to call it news, but like, you know, stuff surrounding these kind of stories, plus stuff surrounding a lot of other, you know, there's a lot of politics stuff that I read and uh, whatever, I, you know, I don't want to get into that stuff. But this, so preparing for Vector um, is in some ways a little bit easier in that I've done a lot of background research effectively just by being me and having my own interests. Um, Renee will send an email around earlier in the day with the specific links that he that he wants to bring up 
Uh, I've often already read them, but I'll go back and scan them again and jot down any kind of notes that, that I have in mind. But also because it's a panel show, there's uh, there's Georgia, there's Renee, and there's uh, Dave Whiskers, and every now and then we we switch it up if one of us has to be absent. Um, but because it's a panel show, uh, it's like, you know, the, the best laid plans don't survive contact with the enemy sort of situation. Not that anybody's the enemy, except, you know, Whiskers is the running joke. Whiskers <laughs> is the enemy. <laughs> Just, But it is a running joke. It really is. But, uh, um, you know, these are conversations, and they, they can go off in, in directions that you can't possibly hope to have jotted down notes for. Uh, but hopefully you've done enough background reading that, that you can kind of run with it. Um, debug's very different. Uh, debug, depending on the guest and the topic, um, I put in I put in a lot of research. Uh, some of it I know, or some of it I know enough to know where to look. Um, not to get all Errol Morris slash uh, Rumsfeld kind of thing, but you know, there's the known unknowns and the unknown. Like the, there's that whole spectrum of uh, you know the intelligence matrix of what you know and what you don't know. Uh, a lot of the topics I know enough to know where I, I have a blind spot, and I try to read up everything I can and understand the, sort of the state of the industry if I didn't know it beforehand, at least remind myself of it, um, and sort of put myself in back in that uh, historical mindset, and not just not just what was happening, but what the ideas were at the time. So, I don't know, if you go back to like 93, um, Sun Microsystems was pushing uh, thin clients a lot, uh, mostly because they had a giant server-side business. Um, so Bill Joy had, uh, I think around then, Bill Joy had the idea of Java everywhere, including the, the, the fridge. And in a lot of ways, it's this uh, internet of connected things that we're seeing come up again today. Um, so if I was interviewing somebody that had sort of intersected with that field, I would go back and read everything I could, probably hit Wired magazine and try mm -hmm. to dig all of that stuff up again. Um, and then, again, what happens is once the conversation starts, uh, it all gets thrown out the window and we just talk. Um, hopefully, my hope at least is that I've internalized enough so that I know, or at least I can anticipate what subjects or topics may come up. And as the conversation progresses, I can either Hopefully, and I hope I don't, I mean, sometimes I do it too much, sometimes I do it too little, it's, it's very, it's, it's hard to get this kind of stuff perfect, but either interject to add context, or ask the, the, the interviewee to add context, or interject because I think there's something more interesting, or less well-known that, that, that I kind of want to have the person I'm chatting with bring to light. Um... It's tricky, and I'm sure I get it wrong, but I'm, you know, more or less pleased with the results. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of Debug mostly because uh, we've managed to get some terrific, terrific guests, and uh, they've just ran the table with being smart and brilliant. And like you said, I really just try to set it up and then step back and let it happen. I want to focus a little more on Debug um, because it's so 
interesting and different. Uh, not that Vector isn't, but there is kind of nothing else like Debug. Uh, and, and, and I want to okay. talk about why I think that's the case as well. But first, where did the idea for Debug come from? Um, what was the original idea for the show? <laughs> and is that still the idea today? Um, so I think the initial idea is, I mean, this is one of those brilliantly stupid origin stories. It's like, you know, radioactive spider bites somebody and then you get a superhero. It's just dumb. We're like, you know, Daredevil where radioactive canister falls off a truck and he blinds him and then he's a superhero. Um, I recorded after Goober, so after Goober left five by five, uh, John got in touch and he wanted to do um, one of the new talk show episodes with me. I forget which one. It was a relatively early one. Uh, and I had basically like the, the, the mic that comes with my iPhone. So he told me, okay, go out and buy all of this kit. Like I've got like a, it's a road podcaster 300 or something. He didn't tell me I had to go, but, but if I'm you like, want to be well, on my gonna... show, here's the list. It, no, it wasn't, it wasn't like that, but, <laughs> but he's like, look, we can either, you know, you can make it sound like you're phoning it in or you can go get this stuff. I'm like, well, I'll just go get it. Whatever. Uh, can't hurt. Turns out it can't. Cause I, I was expecting like, that's good. It'll run like 60 bucks, but no, turned out nope. a bit more than that. But yeah. Um, so then I had a microphone and I cracked a joke on Twitter being like, well, now I've got, like, after the show came, I'm like, well, now I've got this fancy mic and nothing to do with it. And Renee immediately DM'd me. He's like, want to do a show? <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> and I had actually already been thinking of it, but it, it's intimidating to get into podcasting. I don't like speaking in public. Uh, I certainly don't have a radio personality. Uh, like, you know, I, again, now I'm going to get super self-conscious about it, but I pause a lot. I stutter. I, I restart a lot of sentences in, in order to get them like, right. Like I, I'm not. I'm horrible at a product read. Like I'm not slick. You're you're slick, right? So. Uh, the interesting thing about all of us uh, doing this in our little world, like the non-serial world, is none of us uh, are good at it. Really, we're just varying levels of different. So, like your style is the guy English style, which. Even though, sure, like, yeah. conventionally, you would never get a radio show. It's... <laughs> no, they would kick me out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you get half a sentence. Like, get rid of this I would be on the street. And it's like, no, we can't. We don't have that dead air in a day. Like, we can't do this. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because I know when I listen to you that you're thinking. And, and there's, like, this just interesting what's he going to say next kind of, kind of style that works for the sort of stuff that we do, I think. I like to think so now. I mean, before I started doing it, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was nervous. I thought that people wouldn't want to hear me pause like every 30 seconds. But um, <laughs> I'm so self-conscious of doing it now because I'm, uh, I'm an idiot. Um, I think because of the sh kind of show that Debug is and what I'm trying to do with it, well, and Renee too, but, but particularly the way that I ask questions is I'm less concerned about it being a slick radio presentation with it. Rather, I'd, I'd, I'd like it to be more akin to folklore.org, where we capture specific thinking about, hopefully, things that haven't been discussed or capture some kind of insights that would have fallen through the cracks in any other form. 
Um, I think a lot of people would like to write uh, blog pieces about their experiences, um, but there's a barrier to entry in terms of writing blog. First, I mean, it's small, but you got to put up a blog, you got to write, and then you've got to edit, and then you've got to think about it before you press send, right? Like there, there's a there's an implicit um, friction to getting those ideas out, and you are going to you're going to be your own editor in a lot of cases. Um, I think in a in a podcast, and especially kind of in the environment that the debug tries to create, and I'll get back to that in a bit. I, I think on a podcast, people feel more free to express their ideas and express exactly what they're thinking, and because if they get half a sentence out and then they can rewind and then say it better, I think that makes people feel more comfortable. And ultimately, we as um, I don't call it an institution, but but we as a it's not a publication or a podcast or a radio show, whatever you want to call it, we we can archive and we can we can capture this kind of knowledge and storytelling and uh, just through intonation, the the tone and the and the feeling. Uh, that otherwise I think might be totally lost in, in a lot of these things. It's, it's, you know, especially the Apple history that we've done, but also in many other, um, all of the other sort of topics that we've, that we've touched on. I, I think we've managed to capture a lot of things that would have been lost if it was left to uh, a textual context where people were, um, overly precious with their choice of words rather than just sort of jumping in with the, you know, Jumping in, knowing that there's a lifeguard standing nearby, and we will cut anything that that goes south. So, is that like the idea of like the folklore.org? Is that the original idea? Was that the original idea for debug, or did that morph over time a little bit? No, the original idea for debug was to be like iterate, which started first, uh, and that was every week. Um, designers talk to other designers. It's, uh, it's Mark Edwards and Seth Clifford and Renee talk to a, a designer about their work and about how they approach things. And that's what we did initially. Uh, well, that, that was the initial impetus for, for the debug show. Let's do that, but for programming. Um, I, the debug is like it is just because of the way I ask questions, uh, and I don't mean to take anything away from Renee about that, but we didn't have a plan to make it what it is. Um, we started off with uh, Lauren Richter, and I, I don't know. It, Lauren's just a fascinating guy, and the way that I, the way that I wanted to talk to him, sort of lent itself to to debug. Um, if anybody's, I mean, when I'm not just goofing around, if. if if anybody's so so the basically the I rewinded like five sentences there. But if anybody has overheard me speaking at uh a, you know at dinner or at a at a bar or at a social event outside of one of these conferences, um, debug is very much like we just dropped a microphone on the table and listened to what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just the way I converse with people in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, debug is sort of. Uh, refined in that I've done a lot of research so I you know I can anticipate where things are going to go by and large I this is the kind of conversation I I, I tend to hold with people uh, and so I, I don't think it was a plan so much as it just grew out of um, sort of the natural 
interaction. And and now that it's, we've been doing it for a while, it's got a real feel to it. Like, yeah, I know what we're, I kind of know what we're going to touch on and what we're not going to touch on. Um, one thing is, uh, if somebody leaves leaves a company, I'm not going to ask them particularly why. If somebody has something bad to say about a particular, like names a manager or, or a subordinate or somebody that they worked with, uh, and goes on a rant about or or you know says something negative about them, uh, we don't run that stuff, and it's it happens very very rarely. So don't get me. Please, if you're listening to this, don't don't get me wrong. But the idea is, and the intention is, that we want to capture um, the systemic or institutional truths rather than the particular political complaints that people may have in a in day-to-day work. I think that by capturing the the bigger themes, it makes it more interesting and widely applicable. Uh, whereas naming names is often just pointless and petty. So, you know, while it may come up from time to time, uh, that's, that's not what we're after. Right? I, I think I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like my business card, I'm not sure if I could write you a tagline for what I know to be debugged to be, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like porn. I know it when I see it, like I, <laughs> I know what, I know what's appropriate for debug and I know what's not appropriate for debug. Right. And, uh, and, you know, and Renee does too. And I, I, I think a lot of people who agree to be on the show sort of know it too without actually having it explicitly stated. So I think recently um, debug has become, you know, it's always been, but even more recently it's become this like trove of information. It's like treasure trove of information that you can't find anywhere else, like with the work that you've done with Don Melton and Newton Ganatra. Like these, the shows that you've done with these guys, they've they're kind of like they're almost like modern classics in a way. Uh, and and yeah. you know, they've to, received- to be perfectly honest, that that's why I'm proud of Debug. It's got nothing. That's got very little to do with me. It has to do the with for whatever weird reason we managed to set these guys up to have this kind of outlet freedom. Yeah, outlet. That's a better word. Yeah. How did the shows with these guys come about? Like, how did you meet them? How did you get them to agree to to do this? Or did they just, like, want to do it? <laughs> and you just pointed them at a microphone. So that's interesting. Um, so we had Don on first quite a while ago. I forget how that came around. So he left Apple, and I think he'd written a couple of blog posts, and I think Renee just basically call-called uh, him. The other one. <laughs> cold, cold called him. The other, yeah, God, man, I'm like verbally dyslexic. Cold called him. And uh, he agreed. He's a terrific storyteller. I mean, you yeah. know that. We're, we're, if you've been in the same room with him, I mean, we were both at Ool. I mean, do you remember like when he was sitting there near the piano one, late one night <laughs> holding court uh, with yeah, like 30 I... people like sitting around like on on the ground or on whatever they could yep. as, as he just told stories. He's in, in a, he's a remarkable storyteller. And then like the um, last day, uh, before we, we left, um, there was, there was not so many people left and it was, uh, there was Gruber and Melton sitting opposite each other. And they were kind of just like one upping and trading each other on Steve Jobs stories. Right. You know? Yeah. So that so yeah, it's, it's, he, he 
Don Melton's way of telling stories is is kind of incredible, and it's it's kind of even more captivating in real life than on the show. If, if oh yeah, because you get to see his his he's a large guy, and you, I mean I don't mean fat. He's but he's what six one two, but he's he's gregarious. He's got big hand motions. Just he, uh, what I didn't know before we started interviewing him the first time, um, he was training to be a minister, and when you know that. I didn't as know that. Part of, yeah, yeah. When you know that as part of his background and you see him sort of orate, you can kind of see what his... Uh, it just... It, he makes a lot of sense. Um, so, we, so we asked him to be on and we basically just had such a good time with him uh, that... I forget where it went. But we now do a show with him pretty regularly with uh, himself, uh, Matt Drance... Vinay and, and me, and we review 80s movies. And that came about because Don just liked the idea of podcasting so much that he he sent, somehow an 80s movie came out, but he ended up sending us this giant email, like a thousand some odd word email, suggesting all of these 80s movies that we should review. And not being dummies, uh, Renee and I were like, yeah, let's do that. And uh, I think the first one, Matt Drance was invited because he particularly liked the movies for some reason. I forget which one it was. And then Matt was just in. <laughs> so it's, I mean, you can't say no. You just can't say no to Milton. And I don't think Matt would, would ever want to because we all have, it's once a month, maybe we get together and just discuss like an 80s movie. But, you know, there's always emails flying back and forth. So Milton quickly became a friend. Uh, he's fascinating and he's incredibly smart and he's got a really great history. And, um, Coming from the web side of things, I didn't know that much about his like the, the web stuff, but he, you know, he sort of uh, made it really interesting to kind of learn about that world through his coming up through Netscape Navigator and, and all of this kind of stuff. He actually appears in that uh, that movie about open sourcing Netscape. Hmm. He's in a he's in a couple of those scenes, so that was fun. Um, Neaton Ganatra was introduced to me by my friend, uh, Daniel Jelkett. Uh, Daniel and Neaton had worked together. I think it's Neaton. Whatever. Who cares? Neaton. Sorry, dude. <laughs> um, I think he's cool with you there. Uh, they, they'd worked together back in the 90s. Uh, they, they started around the same time at Apple. Uh, and Neaton had left. Um, the iOS, he, he left Apple and he was the, uh, at the time he was the director of iOS apps at Apple and a bunch of my friends at Apple had reported to him, but, and it, so I, you know, I recognized his name, but I didn't really know. I didn't, I'd never met him. Um, he was at that kind of level where you don't meet people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. They could be on stage at WWDC, but it's often not the case that you meet the, that kind of level of management, right? Yeah, you're not going to find him at a bar randomly. No, no. Yeah. Or if you do, he's not going to say who yeah, he is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just a guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I met him in a bar. Um, <laughs> I did. We, we met up at Annabelle's, actually. And uh, no, we really hit it off, and uh, we just we wanted to do a show. So uh, we interviewed him a bit, and uh, I was... I don't know how you go into these, but um, I'm always nervous that I'm not going to get an hour's worth of conversation out of somebody. 
And so we sat down with uh, Neaton and it was like four and a half hours later. <laughs> it was crazy. It was, it was bananas. Like, the, and there was, there had to be a bathroom break. There was like a lot. There was like the very first time I, I spoke to him for like an hour, 45 minutes, maybe at a bar, but you know, stuff's happening. It's not really, you know, you're not having a real conversation. You're just uh, becoming familiar with each other in, in a, in a, in an environment conducive to cracking jokes and just relaxing. Right. Uh, but having him on the show and going with all of this history kind of stuff, like it, it went long. It went like a, like a long time, like four and a half hours. Um, and we weren't done. We weren't done. And so he had more stuff to say and he's like, can we reschedule and, you know, oh. just to close this up? Cause he felt like he didn't want to leave some threads hanging. So we're like, okay, sure. And then I think we got like another two hours out of him, uh, which was crazy. So. I I actually don't. I've recorded that amount in a day, but I've never done it in one sitting. What is that like? Like, how do you keep? Do you even try and keep things moving along, or do you just are you just letting them go? Is that how they end up at that at that limit at that length? So the funny thing is, maybe this is why I'm bad at what I at the the podcasting thing. At least uh, I was actually I did start off trying to keep them moving along, but uh, my historian slash anthropologist thing kept kicking in where I just wanted to capture as much of this interview as I could. Um, you say that's bad though, but that actually no, well, is the key, right? That, that <laughs> you've, you've stumbled across the thing that helps. Cause if you're pushing him along, if you're pushing through, yeah. then you're maybe not going to get all of the awesome stuff that you get from these. Yeah. Questions. I mean, so, so with that interview in, in specific, um, uh, Neaton did a lot of work on carbon, which is effectively a dead technology now, right? Like nobody cares about carbon. Uh, but it was the, the, the essential technology to move from Mac OS 8, classic Mac OS 9, I guess it was, uh, to OS 10 to, to effectively the, the, the open step reboot. Um, without carbon, we would not have anything right now. Like Apple would be dead. Uh, not that I've seen the crystal ball, and I can say that for sure, but I mean, pretty much everybody agrees it would be host if we didn't have carbon to, to transition stuff like Office and Photoshop and Illustrator and, and uh, even Quark at the time. You know, without it, it, hell, the Finder, the Finder used carbon, so kind of important. Um, and if I was pushing the show to talk to to him about his work on iOS and things that are strictly relevant to today, I think we would have given up the opportunity to capture a, um, a bunch of historical context. And I think, ultimately, if you want to, I mean, maybe this is too much of a touchy-feely historian slash anthropology kind of thing, but I think, ultimately, if you want to understand the decisions and how they get made today or day-to-day, -to -day, I think you need to have some kind of grounding in history and the way that people were thinking and behaving at the time. And as, as, as such, I didn't want to rush him through any of this kind of stuff. I just wanted to let him go. And, you know, if we walked away with an interview that only covered carbon, personally, I was happy. I mean, like I was saying before, you know what, when you see it, if I just had that for a debug episode, that would have been fine with me. Um, Maybe not with all of the listeners who would would have wanted something more modern, but 
you know, at a certain time, you become an editor, right? And yeah. uh, I, I think I, I found value in it, and I think people find value in the the kinds of discussions that Renee and I want to have with the kind of people that we want to have. So at a certain point, you've just got to trust that you're you're making the right decision, right? So I want to take a, a quick break. I still have a bunch more stuff that, that I want to talk to you about. Um, and I want to thank our second sponsor for this week. That is our friends over at Squarespace. They are the only one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code QUESTION at checkout. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. When it comes to giving yourself a home on the internet, there's nowhere better than Squarespace. They put all the power that you need into your hands and taking away all of the painful stuff. Like me and Guy were talking about earlier. Squarespace make it so you don't have to worry about all the things that you don't want to worry about, like hosting, scaling, or what to do if you get stuck with something. Squarespace's fantastic, clean, simple, and beautiful designs really allow you to craft a home online that you'll be happy with, and it's been totally redesigned and refined with Squarespace 7. Squarespace have applied everything that they have learned from powering millions of sites on the web to make their platform even better than before. The new Squarespace 7 features stunning templates. They have 15 new ones in total, and they all feature responsive web design built right in. They've even partnered with some cool musicians, artists, architects, and chefs to develop new templates that cater to these professions as well. They've embraced something that they call the cover page. This allows you to create really great-looking single-page websites with all of the power of a full Squarespace site. They've partnered with Getty Images to provide you with a great deal on awesome photography at just $10 an image, and they now have fantastic Google Apps integration too, which helps you get email and collaboration tools on your custom domain. And I mentioned custom domains. If you sign up for a year with Squarespace, you'll get a free custom domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your new site to be called. All of this stuff is still on top of the core, brilliant product that Squarespace have been developing over many, many years, like 24-7 support with live chat and email. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Ireland who are there to help you anytime. Squarespace's commerce platform, which allows you to add a store to your website in just a few clicks, and they have rock-solid, fast hosting, and so much more. And if you're the type of person that wants to stretch Squarespace further, you can. Their dev platform is now out of beta, and it's available to everyone. And they've added even more functionality to the platform, allowing you to take your Squarespace site further than ever before. You can start a free trial with no credit card required and start building a website today by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure that you use the offer code QUESTION to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Inquisitive. Thank you so much to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. So when you're recording these shows, do you ever feel like halfway through, like you've struck gold? Like, you're recording them and you're like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted or I couldn't have imagined it being this good. No. Um, Does that come from being critical? I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, it comes from... I, the, I don't know. Like, so I, I often... And this is... I don't know. It sounds maybe egotistical. But, like, I listen to a lot of the shows that, that I record, especially, I mean, mostly the debug, uh, because I'm not really thinking that way when I'm having the conversation. 
I am thinking from time to time, like, okay, I need to explain something to the listeners. Uh, and I do try to balance that bit because I'm still not sure what, you know, the audience is growing and I don't know what they know, right? So it's it's hard to understand, it's hard to anticipate what should be explained and what shouldn't be explained and what kind of context people need and what kind of context is uh, taken for granted. And I'm basically just interrupting somebody for, uh, you know, to, to provide. Um, if anything, there's been a couple of times that come up on the show that I've said, ooh, you shouldn't say that. Uh, I'm not going to count them because that would, that would give away the what they point. were. But, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, they weren't anything mean, but it was more like, okay, that, that kind of context is maybe something that I think you're, you're going to regret because <laughs> yeah. we, we, well, we really, really, um, we will, I, I know this is live now, uh, we will never make a debug live. And the, the reason for that is not that it's, A, we record it completely random times whenever we can get anybody on the line. Uh, but B, and to, to me, by far the most important, is that um, we need people to know that they can trust us and that they can make mistakes and that yep. we will fix it. Yeah, the type of stuff um, that you're talking about and the type of questions that you're asking and, and, and that kind of thing, people will always feel more comfortable answering them when they know that they've got the ability to say to you, don't put that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we often, I mean, especially if we don't know the people, we will, I don't know if we do this every time, but by and large, we give people the opportunity to listen to the interview before we put it up. Um, on a few occasions, we've had somebody come back and be like, you know what, I regret saying this. Can you can you edit it? Hmm. And it's never something that we feel has undermined the notion of the discussion. It's only ever been things that have been like, you know what, that was kind of mean, and I don't really mean it. Uh, but we're having a conversation, and people get wrapped in the conversation, like, ah, oh, man, yeah, that guy really sucked. Uh, he so annoyed me with this, and you don't mean it. Like you don't mean it in the way that you need to tell the world. But again, debug is a conversation between a group of friends, or you know, maybe three of us, often two of us, because Renee uh, basically is just like the hen mother. <laughs> like, he'll, he'll, if things go off the tracks, he'll fix it. But other than that, he just basically lets me be my idiotic self. Yeah. Um, we want to provide. It sounds cheesy, but like, you know, a safe environment for the people to say whatever the hell it is they want uh, and know that it won't, it won't ever come back to them. And I feel bad talking about this because it makes it sound like people are saying bad things uh, about other people constantly. And that is categorically not the case. Everybody, like, we've edited maybe totally like 30 minutes out of. I don't know how many shows we've got. We've got like fifty some odd shows at this yeah. point. So it's not a lot. No, it's no, no. It's time. Especially, it's time. especially when they're like four hours, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a minuscule amount. But the point is, um, we want to provide that sort of level of comfort where you can tell us whatever the hell it is you want, and there's a level of trust there where we will, um impart the gist or the intent 
or the uh, you know the the useful insight of something without um, being salacious. I think that to me that word it comes up the most when I'm thinking about this. It's like if it's salacious, it doesn't go on debug. Like it, it just it won't. Uh, not because that's not interesting from a human level, but it's not interesting from a point of view that I think can help other people um, better understand that the way that their office or their development system or their technology or their community works. Um, being salacious is to you know drown yourself in stupid details of particular people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I think we want to address with debug more is to capture history and capture sort of the bigger picture. And and there's a lot of specifics in there, but it's, we want, we want to know why those specifics led to something bigger or how they impacted something bigger. Uh, you know, we don't necessarily need to know that, I don't know, somebody was a chain smoker and then this, this never came up. This honestly never came up. Uh, whatever. Somebody's a chain smoker and then they give somebody a lift home and there's like, like a hundred cigarettes in the, in the passenger seat of their car. There's no, like that never came up. I swear to God. But th- like, what does that do to anybody? It's a weird story, but you know, there's, there's zero value in that really. Uh, so we try to avoid that kind of thing. So I want to talk about Singleton. Yeah. What is Singleton? What was Singleton? Yeah, I, was, I knew he was going to say that. I was setting you up. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I appreciate it. Um, uh, so Singleton was a, a conference that we put on in Montreal for the past four years. Uh, I loved it. I, I, it was really great. It was a lot of fun to put on. Um, it's hard to describe. It was, in some ways... It had a lot in common in, in some ways with Debug, except it was a conference, in that uh, it was a conference that did not focus on specific technologies or how to implement uh, specific ideas or specific APIs or how to design in a certain way. It um, tried to capture sort of the meta level of how people were thinking and what they were doing and how the state of the industry for that year was affecting them and how they'd either adapted or changed or um, been forced to deal with what has really over the past four or five years been a pretty drastic change in the way that uh, small independent software developers do their, do their work, their business, right? You recently yeah. wrapped up Singleton, Singleton we Four. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about about the whys at the moment. But with Singleton Four, what did you set to achieve this time around? So each year we come up with a uh, a subject, a theme, is what we call it. Um, I'll, I'll get to you directly answering your question in a little bit, but the uh, the first year, the theme was that we were at an inflection point, and that was when the Mac App Store launched. Uh, we'd had like sort of enough data from the iOS App Store that we knew that this was going to change the way that independent Apple software developers approach their platform. And that was kind of, I mean, since getting out of games, that was kind of my 
my world, right? I got a Mac software guy, an iOS software guy. This was clearly going to be a different, different thing. Software was going to become something that people bought. Of course, it's always been something that people bought, but software as a as a popular item to buy was going to become a thing. Like many people would see a, a statement for the App Store on their credit card bill, rather than seeing statement for you know the omni group or uh flying meat or red sweater or rogue amoeba or whoever it was uh this was going to be like okay the mac app store as a receipt uh, as a as a line item on your credit card was going to become a thing and so we wanted to talk about that um like debug the initial idea for singleton was dumb uh most of my ideas started out as dumb um, we, we, we're on the, uh, you know, northeast sort of side of, uh, North America, and we have a Cocoa Heads, um, I don't know what to call it, meeting, clique, meetup kind of thing, and we wanted to get everybody in the northeast to sort of come together and come to Montreal and have, like, a bigger party, because going down to San Francisco all the time was kind of a pain in the ass and screw those West Coast guys. Uh, and then we realized it's like, well, that we're still asking people to travel quite a bit, so we should have some talks. And then it's like, well, really, are they going to come for like four talks in a bar for an evening? No, like we need to make it a big thing. And so basically, Singleton ended up being a thing. Like we would, and it was called Singleton because guess what? There was going to be one of them. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not even. I'm not even kidding. When we came up, it was called the Singleton Symposium, and there was going to be one, and it was going to be about like, okay, everything's changing in terms of uh, the way the business, like our businesses, work. Uh, what do we all think? And then that was it. You know, like wipe your hands of it, go do something else. Uh, but we had a lot of fun, and people really liked it. So we did another one, and then we did another one, and then we did another one, and. Um, this past year, uh, the topic was that we wanted to hear from different perspectives. Um, in that we wanted to hear from people who were involved in the industry, but weren't people that would necessarily have been thought of to speak at one of these kind of conferences before. Uh, since we started up Singleton, a, a couple of great conferences have sort of started up with I don't, I don't know how to describe it, either the same aesthetics or the same intent, uh, by which I don't mean to under, undermine them, but I, I think that uh, there's, this, this is an idea that's, that's blossomed, and a lot of people are taking it up, and, I, and I'm, I'm super glad for that. I, I think there's a lot of really great places out there, and we never felt it was a, it's not a competition. Uh, because, well, frankly, we just sold out before we ever went on sale anyway publicly, so we don't care about that aspect of it. Uh, and the more of this kind of thinking and the more of this kind of um, cultural cross-pollinization of ideas and what worked and what didn't work, I, I think that's just invaluable for everybody involved. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about that kind of stuff. Um, I think I just derailed myself for my answer. Oh yeah, so so for this year it was different perspectives, like people that you wouldn't necessarily hear speak at at different conferences. Um, 
And so, so we were super fortunate. We had um, John August, who's uh, a screenwriter of, you know, pretty high renown. He's, he's written everything from Frank and Weenie to, to Big Fish to, uh, to Charlie's Angels. To, he's, he's all over the place. He's, he's a very smart, very accomplished screenwriter. And he is also uh, very interested in software. He's written uh, Highland, which is uh, an app for writing screenplays. He uh, was involved in the creating, creation of uh, Fountain, which is Markdown for screenplays. Um, very, very smart guy. Very much on the intersection between writing, or at least, well, writing in general, but screenwriting in, in specific, and software. And John's a guy that you wouldn't necessarily expect to speak at a nerd conference. Um, and he did. He, he keynoted. And, and I, that was great because I, I asked him and he immediately was a one-liner answer. Yes, I'd love to be there. I'd love to meet all of the people that I've only had email conversations with. So that was wonderful. Uh, we got a bunch of other people coming in too. Uh, Adam Lissigore, who, uh, you know, he's a sandwich video guy, uh, clearly part of the field but not necessarily somebody that you would expect to, to hear from. Um, Maya Henderson, uh, she's been working at Square. I don't know why her employee number is. It's like eight, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, she helped them build out their offices and design their offices and go from a company of like a handful of people into like the thousands that it is today as a global affair. You wouldn't necessarily think about hearing from her perspective at one of these indie sort of developer conferences. Um, but I thought she gave a great talk. Uh, uh, Laura Savino did, did a wonderful talk about uh, Khan Academy and the role of language and how we interpret language um, as self-criticism in, in a way. Like it, it, it was great. It's, it's, it sounds flighty when I describe it, but she's, she's wonderful and she was a terrific talk. All of these things we, we record and we give them out for, for free. Um, why? I don't know. It, like like debug, it just seemed like an expression of what we thought was pertinent and, and, and interesting. It's um I mean software is often cold and the business is often um interpreted in terms of numbers like market share or you know, whatever, revenues or what's up, what's down bubble or not bubble, uh, number of users versus active users versus signups versus whatever the hell you want. Uh, but I, I've always found that most of the people I interact with don't think of it like that. Um, a lot of times it's a creative output. A lot of times it's a creative output with a business side. And that's a really interesting situation, right? And that, that's kind of the situation that uh, somebody like John August can intersect with in that, like, well, you're writing a script, but it's also a business, and and there's a surprising amount of overlap between sitting down day to day to type into Xcode and sitting down day to day to type into to Highland or whatever the you know whatever it is you write your your, your scripts in, um, and I. I I liked Singleton because I think it brought a lot of that sort of cross-discipline thinking together in 
in a setting that was conducive to um, making friends and learning from each other without hopefully um, being too exclusionary or too um, feeling like, like it was just for like a, like an, an elite subset. Like a, what's the thing they have in Switzerland every year with the super rich people? Uh, oh, is it Davos? Not, yes, Davos. Yeah, like not like that, but with the notion that like people, smart people, should come together and be able to share all of their ideas. So Davos is horrible for that kind of thing. But we wanted a place where we could get a bunch of people together and sort of talk about what was on their minds, not just. It was, so we, I mean, I, I think I came up, I, I don't know, I'm, I think I came up with the word symposium, which I really now, I didn't make up the word, but to attach the word. Uh, I liked it originally because a symposium is basically a meeting of people, right? It's it's where you all come together and you share your thoughts. Uh, looking back, that's the most pretentious thing I could possibly have ever wanted to name it. I like but the, it. I think it's I think yeah. it's cool. It's better. It's than pretty. Conference. It's pretty pretentious, though. Yeah, conference like is it's... just as bad, though, really, because it's like is it a conference, like really, you know. So it's, it's whatever you call it. I suppose. Anyway, the notion would be that like. Yeah, we're going to have people speak to you, but really, you're just going to go learn from each other. And that's why we wanted to have uh, an atmosphere and an environment that was as conducive to sort of mingling and chatting and learning from one another as it was to hearing from the speakers. Uh, like a lecture hall, we didn't, we would not even consider. Uh, you know, a room with a bunch of people and like some coffee in the back and, and like an ability to just come and go. Uh, yeah. That that sort of suited our, our yeah. mindset. Yeah. Right. I want to talk about why Singleton's come to an end. Um, okay. But before I do that, I want to thank our last sponsor for this week's episode, and that is our friends at Igloo, who make an internet you'll actually like. If you've ever been unfortunate enough to use something like SharePoint um, or some other internet product, you're going to know what it feels like to have a product that feels like it was built in the 90s probably because it was and you know how horrible it can be how dull and unengaging it can be to use an intranet product like this not only is it likely to be unused and out of date there's probably nothing in there that really makes it feel like it's built or maintained by humans either but this is what igloo knows and this is what igloo fixes they know that connecting staff in meaningful ways can make your office or workplace more fun to be in and it really helps extend the culture that you have you're trying to build and that and that you're trying to make sure that is makes you want to come into work every day and the starting point for all of this is design and this is something that igloo focuses on this is more than just tacking your logo into the top left corner or changing some of the colors around your internet should be a reflection of your company both in the look because they do allow you to do those things but in the feel and the tone as well so this comes into how how is information presented and how are you able to connect with each other so with igloo everything is widget based it's all drag and drop so it's simple to drag things around, enable the types of functionality that you want. Maybe it's like Twitter-like microblogs so you can all talk together or maybe it's task management because I have all of that stuff built in as well. File sharing, collaboration, 
uh, so you can people can get in there and make comments about documents together. They have all of this stuff, and they allow you to to sort of enable it onto pages and drag it around and make it look exactly the way that you want. You can enable the things that you feel are right and disable those that are not. Like if your company never collaborates on documents, well then just don't have the document collaboration functionality in there. It's as simple as that. All of this stuff is apps. They're apps that we make for their for their for their platform. This is what it's built on. It gives you the flexibility to change the structure and presentation of your internet really easily. You can go from content driven to maybe more activity feeds, right? So you can either push stuff out or people can communicate around things and where conversation is at the center as well. This is where the community of your office really adds to your intranet. It's not just thrown at them. There are people who are actually able to jump in and, and communicate themselves. You can customize everything within your igloo with the ability to add HTML, CSS, and JavaScript as well if you want. You can add this across the entire site or just into certain team spaces. You can create sort of just for maybe for the finance team need this stuff and the web team need this stuff. Anyone with the appropriate permissions can publish content with the WYSIWYG editor that's across the entire site. And you can even build your own apps as well with their custom widget builder. Igloo is really a very, very impressive product. And it's something that if you work in a team of any size, you should be checking out. And if you work in a team of up to 10 people, you can sign up for free at igloosoftware.com slash inquisitive. Igloo is free for teams of up to 10, and you should be trying them out. They are a great company. They're a great supporter of content like this as well. Thank you so much to Igloo for their continued support of Inquisitive and Relay FM. You know what? You have a trifecta. Yeah. Trifecta sponsors. Yeah, I pretty much nailed it this week. Yeah. Taking, taking the hassle out of doing annoying internet-based stuff mm-hmm. and just making it easy. And as a client-side guy, my, oh, God, I love that. <laughs> Good quality results done by professional people with good, like, you know, that that I can trust. I'm there because I don't want to spend my time figuring this stuff out. I, you, I don't know. You've nailed it from like sending email to hosting something external and to, mm-hmm. to running an internal thing. Good work. Everybody just sign up for everything right now. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> So you mentioned. Well, I'm not even trying. I'm swear to God, I'm not even just trying to pump your sponsors here. I, yeah. I, there's a theme. There's a theme going on, and it, it's great. It works. Uh, I get nothing out of this. I swear. I'm just being a nice guy. Because my I, lawyers I want me want me to say that Mr. English will not be receiving any kind of. <laughs> I'm not getting a penny. I just I I do think there's a theme there. Yeah. So you mentioned that you did uh, Singleton one, and then came back for two, and came back for three, yeah. and then came back for four. Why is this one the last one? Why are you not coming back for Singleton 5? So, the, so Singleton, just because of the way, the, I mean, just because of the timing uh, of that time of year and the way the booking uh, conference spaces works and uh, the way people's vacation works, uh, Singleton lands basically around the same time in October every year. Uh can't do the summer because people are on vacation. You can't go much later because it's American Thanksgiving. Uh, it typically lands on Canadian Thanksgiving, and we take a bit of heat for that. Uh, but it's kind of the time of year where, A, the space is not astronomical. It's it's reasonably affordable because the wedding season's done. Uh, B, it's a time of year where we don't intersect with a bunch of holidays or like people having to fly and travel for other reasons. Um, and we 
post WWDC, so we kind of have a, a an angle at least on what the year is going to be about. Oddly enough, it's fallen within maybe a week, maybe 15 days at, at the outset of iPhone releases every year. Hmm. And increasingly, that's meant uh, iOS releases and, and now OS ten releases around the same time. Uh, and Scott, Luke, and I, my, my three, my two other uh, partners, we all run software businesses and we all need to address all of the, the issues coming up with, you know, the next version of iOS, the next version of OS X, uh, any new hardware that's introduced, um, and get it all out and ready basically around the same time that um, we're going we're gonna to be hosting Singleton. And with Apple stepping up its pace of development and us wanting to do it as good, at least as good a job as we did on Singleton the year previously, we didn't feel that we had enough in us to be able to trying to figure out the words here. In order to achieve the level of quality that we would have wanted, I don't think any of us thought that we had the the time in order to, to do that. Um, it was kind of burning us out. Well, I mean, we're kind of getting burnt out by other stuff, but this this was special. I, we really enjoyed doing this. Uh, I think there was a little bit of a time where it felt like a slog for us this past year. Um, not because of the conference, because we were annoyed or because of any of that, but just because it's like there was so much other stuff on our plate that was, uh, in a way, took priority in terms of a professional aspect uh, that we were frustrated that we couldn't put the, the time in and uh, thought into into getting Singleton right. Um, which makes it sound like uh, Singleton was bad this year. I, I, I think it, this was the best one yet. Uh, but I do think that this was the best one yet because at a certain point, about halfway through the planning, we said, okay, this is it. This is the last right. one. And that just gave us the freedom to be like, okay, we don't need to worry about it. Like, we are going to kill this one. We are going to knock it out of the park. Uh, and that gave us a lot of freedom and it made us not stop, basically stop worrying and love the singleton sort of thing. Um, we don't make, we don't make money off it. We, we never have. Um, all we've ever done, well, after the second one at least, was, uh, have some money in the bank in order to make the first couple of down payments on the venue for the next year. Uh, so this year, knowing that we didn't even need to worry about that, we, it was just like, well, forget it. It's, is there a problem? Okay, can we throw money at it? Here's some money. Uh, I mean, it's not like we're rolling in that much money. It's making but, it but, rain. In, in yeah, it's not really quite like that. But you know what I mean? Like the the where we might have been super stressed, we were like, okay, forget it. It's fine. We'll just we'll fix it because we're done, and we don't need to worry about this kind of stuff anymore. Um, and I think that made event a thing. That made this one my favorite one yet. Uh, just because I think we were relaxed, we knew that it was going to be the last one. I think if we did one more, it would only be because we felt obliged to. And I think that's a horrible way to go into anything. Um, 
I feel obliged to put this on is not a great way to throw a party. Uh, and so we stopped. And I, I'm sad. I, I'm really sad. I was sad at the time. Uh, I was on stage and I thanked everybody and, and we all did. Uh, and then we kind of just vanished. I mean, we we said hello to a couple of people, but I just went immediately and kind of left the room because I just yeah. really didn't want the attention. It's going to sound stupid, but I went to the bar, which is right next door, and I had a drink. I had a, had a beer, <laughs> which it's not like I'm trying to drown my sorrows. I just did not want to be in a room with 100, almost 200 people being like, oh, man, that's really a bummer because forget it. You know, I mean, they could come up to me individually at the bar and talk about it, but I didn't. It, 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 it's sad because I was very, very proud, and I still am very proud of what we, what we achieved with Singleton. Uh, I think Luke and Scott and, and, and Beth and, and everybody that was involved did a tremendous job. Um, but again, like Debug, I think a lot of it had to do with the speakers. Like it was kind of like a let's just set it up and let it happen kind of, kind of situation. Uh, but ultimately setting it up and letting it happen, I don't think we would have set it up as well next year. Uh, I think we would have phoned something in and we would have had one that was not better than, than the last one. Right. And even if it was good, I, I think we all would have just felt like it was a failure and we'd be kind of upset and not want to do it. Does that make sense? It's a, no, I know it does. It's, a little, it's maybe self-indulgent a little bit, but... Well, you go out on a high, right? I mean, that... That was it. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, you know... British TV is a classic for this, right? Like you have a series and then you're done. Like or like if you have a no... six episode series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so, Broad Church, you're done. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. that was great. So, what? Nothing. Yeah. No more. Um, yeah. kind of my last question. Oh. In, in in running this conference over the <laughs> last four years, yeah. uh, what's the biggest lesson you've learned, or what's the biggest um, mistake you've made? Oh. I, so I have a biggest mistake. Uh, I don't know if I want to because I don't. It, it <laughs> may be personal, but um, I. So one of the things that that happens um, is that you know, so for the first few years, I was mostly in charge of uh, recruiting speakers uh, and communicating with them and, and developing the. The theme with them, or at least we'd come up with the theme and then discussing the theme with them. Um, and what would happen is that we'd all be at WWDC or some other conference and we'd get excited and uh, ask people to speak. And at one point, uh, we invited, or I specifically invited somebody to speak, but we were already had too many speakers. So I had to tell them that no. Mm. And I think that, that hurt their feelings and it should have. And it, you know, that, that, that was, that's totally on me. I was, I was, I was wrong and I was kind of a dick about that. I wasn't a dick. I was apologetic, but I mean, that was a mistake and it was bad. And so I, that's, if anything, that's the thing I regret. Uh, just cause you know, whatever it, it kind of disappointed somebody and that's, that sucks. I, Especially somebody that you want to have speak because I have so much respect for them that you're like, yeah, I really feel like a jerk at that point. Um, what did I learn? I 
So again, mostly I, I worked with the speakers. I think what I learned was just to bring it back maybe a little bit is what kind of feeds into debug. Um, just talk to smart people and just let them run. Um, I gave them all what well, we gave them all, uh, the theme. We gave very little guidance about what we wanted to hear or what the topics were. We, what we did do is try to pick speakers that we thought had something pertinent and interesting to say about the subject. And by and large, I didn't tell them what I expected them to say. I just said, look, look, I think this pertains to you because of these reasons. Um, and let's take uh, Meyer Henderson. Like, okay, look, here's this, this year, uh, it's about perspective. Uh, you've grown with Square since being employee number eight up until you've got, you know, thousands all around the world. That's an interesting perspective. Would you like to speak about that? Um, or, you know, uh, Laura Savino. I basically told her the same thing. I'm like, look, you know, you're relatively new programming, but you're working on this super altruistic thing, which is Khan Academy, uh, and you have an education uh, background in education. Uh, I'd love to hear your perspective. And she she came up with something that had to do with like combining her linguistics background, her, her educational background, Khan Academy, uh, programming, and, and sort of being in the community. Uh, Similarly, John August, I'm like, look, you know, you're a screenwriter, but it clearly intersects with software, and you're the kind of guy, you're one of the very few people I can think of that kind of intersects in that kind of way. Uh, so what did I learn from Singleton? Um, I'm trying to distill it into like a, into, into a catchphrase, which you know, it goes back to your, to your business kind of thing. It's, it's always hard for me. Um, I don't know. Free-range smart people, I guess. I, I cultivate free-range smart people. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think if you trust people and, and you invest in them and, you know, there's, it's people that you, that you appreciate the thinking. You don't have to agree with them at all. But if you appreciate the way that they think, give them an idea and let them run, uh, I, I think you'll be hard-pressed to get bad results, really. I don't think it gets any better than that, I'm afraid. Still too long for a business card, but hey, close. Big business card. <laughs> I'll work on it. Mr. English, thank you so much. It is, it is always a pleasure, um, and you are actually really good at this, so thank you. Um, where can people keep in touch with you? Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. No, no problem. Where's a good place? Uh, for you? I'm, so I, I'm at GTE on Twitter. Uh, I write very, very occasionally these days at kickingbear.com. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have a, a, a Mac application called Napkin on the Mac App Store, which I'm told I should promote more often because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm bad at that. Um, and yeah, I don't know, if you want to get in touch, just hit me up on Twitter and I'll I, I try to respond to most stuff if I can. If I if I don't respond, it's because you've made me think. And then it'll, you know. Do you ever get that? Does somebody send you an email and like, oh yeah, I really need to consider that. And then like three months later, you're like, oh, I'm kind of a jerk because I never got yeah. back to them. 
Yeah, I do yeah. that quite a lot. Like, yeah. oh, so I'm sorry about that. I'm, later, yeah. and then it just never I'm bad about that. Yeah, like if you ask me a dumb question, uh, well, here's the thing. If you ask me something really dumb, I'm not going to respond. If you ask me something I can answer quickly, I'm pretty likely to respond immediately. And if it requires some kind of thought, you'll burn like a million of my brain cycles and I will never actually get to writing back that email because <laughs> I want to do a good job and I'm, I just won't find the time because I'm a jerk. If you want to find the links over from we've spoken about today, you can get them at relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 13. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Igloo, Campaign Monitor, and Squarespace. Don't forget that if you want to help us out, you can fill in our survey that we're running at the moment at podsurvey.com slash inquisitive. This will enable us to to find some more great advertisers and learn a bit more about you so we can we can pair the right advertisers with the right shows. Anybody that fills in this survey is will be in for a chance of winning a one hundred dollar Amazon gift card. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Inquisitive. Until then, thanks and goodbye. Thanks, Mike.